Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Caroline, happy Valentine's Day. Whatever. I know, right? (laughs) It's America's least favorite holiday. Welcome. And yet our favorite one, somehow. Not a... Well, I don't... To use to manipulate other people. Oh, you mean our, like a collective hour? Yeah. Like, uh, and by like people, I, you mean people you're any, dating? Oh, I don't want anything. Why didn't you give oh, me a dozen roses? I want everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It is one of the most confusing days of the year, I'd say. And, um, I, I went on to our Facebook page. If you're listening right now and you haven't gone to our Facebook page to like us because it's Valentine's Day, you should do it. <laughs> Be our Valentine, please. Um, I went on there to ask listeners, hey, do you want a Valentine's Day episode? Come on, like, this is sort of our wheelhouse. We talk about dating and love and kissy stuff all the time. What would you like to hear about? And half of the responses were about how Valentine's is the worst, about how Valentine's is a a fake consumer-driven holiday. And I was like, y'all, y'all, (laughs) y'all, come on now. Got some, you know, it is what it is. So I think that folks are going to like this episode, though. Yeah. Not particularly lovey-dovey in a direct way. Right. But it's got a twist in it. Mm -hmm. And the twist is that in so many of the topics that we talk about, we, we end things with like, well, and then we try to talk about, you know, find information on how this applied to the LGBT community. But you know what? Research had nothing to say about it. Guess what? It's not the case this time. Yeah. So, let's get going. <laughs> let's let's give our public display of affection to our LGBT listeners. Let's do it. Unless I would make them uncomfortable, in which case I'll just shake your hand. It's fine. <laughs> or maybe you'll give them a kiss on the cheek, Kristen. Yes, a public social kiss. Is there anything more confusing? I it is very confusing. No, I walked uh I walked my parents' elderly neighbor home not too long ago and I went for the hug and she went for the cheek kiss and then she confused me further by going for the double cheek kiss to the point where I said, Can we do that again? Again? You wanted a repeat? <laughs> well yeah, she's this adorable Greek lady and I was like, Come on, I've known her since I was a baby. I was like, Can we just can we fix this? She's like, You know, darling, we always do it on both cheeks. <laughs> oh, and then it was fine. So now have you taken up Greek uh, double cheek kissing? Absolutely not. You don't know what is on people's faces. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's what no, no, I was. I'm, I was more thinking about the awkwardness. Well, yeah, that's actually my germ phobia is just a cover for my fear of awkward situations. Um, yes, there was a, a recent article in the New York Times about the confusing situation of the public social kiss, which has become, I feel like this is kind of fueled by reality television, especially the Real Housewives franchise, yeah. because they're always, you know, doing the kiss kiss when they greet each other. And I feel like that's kind of like, it's not something that I encounter, but maybe it's because I'm not fancy enough in my day to day. So it's not that common in American culture to do the social kiss. Uh, it's more of a European thing, but I, I think it is becoming a little bit more common. Yeah, but there are there are actually rules apparently that govern the public social kiss, which I I I wish there were rules for actual PDA because I don't consider the social kiss PDA or gross. It's just awkward. It's yeah. just like why are you kissing my face? I don't know you. 
Well, it can it can be awkward. Um, this this article was written by Henry Alford, who is the author of a modern manners book, and um, he talked to a British etiquette consultant, William Hansen, who like points to the celebrity culture and sort of the the false intimacy and the kiss kiss that now confuses the social kiss. And he says that the proper procedure for a social kiss, if it's a guy and a gal is that the woman sets the terms. If she wants her cheek, she proffers her cheek. If not, she proffers her hand. I'm going to start, like, proffering my hand for for hand kisses. Just wear a giant cocktail ring so that people are forced to kiss it like you're the Pope or something. Or, like, a ring pop. Perfect. But you don't... Well, you don't want anybody to linger. Yeah. Yeah, and then he says that if it's a woman... Woman, woman interaction. I just said woman three times, but I mean two women. Or three. The, the senior woman sets the terms. So in my case, the the elderly, adorable Greek woman was going in for the double cheek kiss, and I was lost as an ignorant American. But what if you're really close in age? See, that's why I'm just saying, like, it yeah. just gets... because then it's an insult, because if you wait, you're, you're insinuating that you think they're older. Yeah. Oh... Man, that gets confusing. <laughs> um, but but the th- funny thing is when um, I think it was William Hansen, that the British etiquette consultant, was saying that the that like frontal hugs mm-hmm. that Americans might think are way less uncomfortable than social kissing, actually quite the opposite because that is full on body contact and mm-hmm. it signals even more intimacy. Well, I mean, I don't like hugging strangers either. What that- happened to a handshake, people? Or do the Obama fist bump or an elbow bump. Yeah. Anyway, we should write an etiquette book. Um, so, yeah, like you said, though, Caroline, the, the public social kiss, not so much of a PDA as in, in, in the way that we would think of it, especially around Valentine's Day. Right. We're talking about like PDA in terms of smooching, smooching your honey bun in public. I can't take it. I hate PDA. I don't want to be a part of the PDA beyond like hand holding, but I also don't want to watch the PDA. I was at a restaurant the other night and this couple next to my friend and me were just like all over each other. If let's say you have a gentleman friend, you're very friendly, you like him, you love him, he wants to kiss you fully on the mouth in public. Do you, what do you do? Uh, peck. That would be it. He, he push, push. You put your hand on his chest, to push and then I more. throw a drink in his face. <laughs> no, you call him a cad <laughs> and stalk away. Um, well, you mentioned Caroline uh, going to the restaurant and being icked out by mm-hmm. the the kissy face. I gotta stop saying kissy face by the <laughs> amorous couple. Uh-huh. Well, ABT, ABT. Well, ABC Primetime decided to kind of do that in mass. In 2006, they hired some actors to go go around to restaurants and pretend to be super affectionate couples, be making out all over each other. And the funny thing was a lot of people were kind of fine with it. Yeah, I th- they talked uh, about some uh, older couples who were in the restaurant, you know, who thought like, oh, sweet. Young love. And uh, Carrie Keating, who's a psychology professor at Colgate University, actually says she defends PDA to to a point. Uh, she says that it sometimes can have a positive effect 
on the observers. Have you ever been watching a movie, Kristen? And the two- I've never watched a movie. You've never? No. Okay, well, hopefully our listeners will, will know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been watching a movie and the two people on screen kiss and you find yourself making the kissy face too at the same time? No. Okay, weird. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, neither have I <laughs> ever. Um, anyway, so Keating says the very motor behavior, the tiny muscles of the face, the smiles, the gaze are often mimicked by observers and that mimicry actually feeds back to the brain of the observer and gives you that sort of warm and fuzzy feeling inside. I think she's giving PDA a lot more credit than it deserves. Yeah. But I think that to a point, like seeing, um, unless you've just been broken up with or you're, you know, feeling bitter that day, like seeing a young couple in love holding hands could actually make you feel slightly better. I'm the opposite. It's not, I, I'm, I'm more, uh, prudish when it comes to seeing younger couples, older couples yeah. though, holding hands, um, you know, kissing. I, I basically, I just don't want to see tongue. Okay. <laughs> but older couples, that that warms my heart. But uh, there, of course, in this ABC experiment, there were some people who did not take kindly to seeing all the PDA and tried to intervene. And Keating goes on to warn that, you know, don't try to stop PDA if you see it happening because you don't know what the cultural norms are. Um, and and this comes up a lot. Maybe the litmus test if, if, is if kids are around. It's always about the children. You know, if there are children around, don't... What about my retinas? I want to protect my retinas. Exactly. Um, But then again, I mean, you say that, you know, Keating goes on to talk about how there's this physiological effect from witnessing PDA, but then she also goes on to say that, well, it can elicit a range of emotions. (laughs) So... It's a pretty non-specific answer. And I, and I did dig around for some studies seeing if, if there were more, whether, if there was more empirical data on the kind of response that people have mm-hmm. to with PDA. Not a lot of stuff out there. Cause even the researchers are grossed out. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, but, uh, the thing is though, Keating does have a point though, saying that PDA elicits a range of emotions. But unfortunately, those range of emotions can also be very negative, depending not just on the type of PDA that's happening, but who is doing it. And this was something that ABC again went back a year later to test out when they had two gay couples go out and get all frisky in public. And they went to Birmingham, Alabama and Verona, New Jersey, because they also wanted to see if there's a geographical difference. Yeah. And in both places, I think for the most part, the attitudes were... I mean, there was a range of attitudes about it, but they none of them were very strong. I w- I'll say that. Um, a lot of people were concerned, just like, how will I explain this to my children when my small children ask, why are those two men kissing? In Alabama, however, there was one instance where a woman called 911 when she saw two men kissing, and the officer, responding officer said, just don't do that in public. Yeah, that's, that's not okay. Um, but there, there was a, a difference though in how people reacted to, uh, the lesbian couple versus the gay male couple because, like, the two women being affectionate to each other, people, for the most part, were like, oh, that's sweet. But there was more negative reaction directed at two men showing affection to each other. Right. Yeah, and an example, I think, of how 
people are not in general super comfortable with two men expressing uh, any affection for each other. There was a Snickers Super Bowl commercial several years ago. This was in 2007, I believe, uh, where two mechanics, they, they pulled a, a lady in the tramp with the with the spaghetti thing, but they mm-hmm. were eating a Snickers bar. Uh, so they're biting into the same candy bar and then recoil when their lips meet and start trying to act really masculine. And it got a lot of uh, activists angry people you know they're like why are you why are you uh furthering this perception that two men kissing is disgusting yeah homophobia that's a terrible punchline that's not funny at all actually uh because of the protests in response to the ads were eventually pulled but it was um a, a good example not and i say good i mean uh it was a depressing example of how it's it's the type of homophobia that we don't necessarily think about. Like when we first started doing, you know, looking into stuff for a podcast on public displays of affection, I just thought we we're going to find some psychological studies. How do you feel? And all of a sudden, this whole LGBT angle of it opens up to where it's a completely different side that you and I don't think about. You know, we're two like straight women walking around, you know, and if we we have the privilege of if we want to, you know, kiss our dude or whatever real fast, then no one's probably going to bat an eyelash about it. But it is much different, we've learned, especially for men who are in relationships with each other. Yeah, Christopher Records over at Salon in July 2012 wrote a column about how it's a tightrope act, basically. And he talks about the stress of having to check one's surroundings before even holding hands. He calls it instinctive profiling, basically, that he is he feels forced to do when he goes into a public space. And he writes that, like a lot of same-sex couples, we know where to touch and where not to touch as far as, you know, going into one bar or store or public place versus another. And he writes that safety carries with it issues of race, age, gender, and class, that he and his boyfriend feel safest to, quote, freely act like a normal couple in places that tend to be whiter, younger, less male, more liberal, and generally more gentrified than others. And like Kristen said, I mean, this is not necessarily like I don't like PDA, but I also don't always have to consider where I am. Right. If I'm expressing affection. Yeah, there's typically not a risk of violence or harassment if you express PDA. Um, and this was something that, uh, I mean, speaking as well to what Christopher Records in that Salon article was talking about in terms of where and how they feel safe. Um, Clarence Patton, who was a spokesperson for uh, New York City's Gay and Lesbian Anti-Violence Project, told the New York Times in 2007, this was in response to that Snickers Super Bowl commercial, he said that um, uh, gay people aren't threatening if they, quote, play a very tightly scripted and choreographed role in society, putting your wedding together or what have you. It's then more once they cross out of those things and actually be, you know, behave just like you and me, just like, you know, everyday couples on the street that um, the the risk increases. Now, that was in 2007. Um, and hopefully, even though it's only been, you know, five, six years, things have gotten better. Um, Catherine M. Frank, who's a lesbian Columbia University professor, also told the New York Times that uh, in the past five years, she had observed things getting better in terms of her girlfriend and her actually getting smiles 
from straight couples and uh, you know gay allies wanting to congratulate their love and rather than looking askance at them. And it's that whole, you know, time marching on, people getting used to seeing things that they weren't used to seeing before that uh, Jesse Burling talks about in his piece for Scientific American in June uh, 2009. He's a research psychologist. And he says that while the issue of gay marriage is very important, the issue of gay people feeling comfortable to express PDA is so important also because it's not just like a social attitude of like, oh, no, it's I'm totally cool with gay people kissing in public because, as we just mentioned, you know, people are not necessarily as comfortable with that as they say they are. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying that it is so important to change negative attitudes towards gay people, and that begins with exposing people out in the world to uh, more regular same-sex romantic behavior. Yeah, and uh, Baring is gay as well, and he started off that Scientific American article talking about being abroad with his boyfriend and kind of feeling, you know, negotiating the same the spaces, public spaces, in the same way that uh, Christopher Records was talking about over at Salon of, you know, testing the waters of, okay, is it... Is it, am I, are we getting stares if I hold your hand? Is it going to be okay if I touch your leg? Just basic things like that. And then he goes into talking about, um, disgust sensitivity and intuitive disapproval, disapproval. Um, and basically kind of how researchers have tried to figure out the ways that we might be, uh, subconsciously repulsed by things. So this study that we're talking about uh, and that Baring mentions in his article was sort of to to test people's attitudes uh, toward gay PDA. And the first part of the study was based on previous research that people are more likely to describe a behavior as intentional when they see it as morally wrong. And that is known as the uh, Nob effect. That was named for Yale philosopher Joshua Nob. Yeah, and in that philosopher dude's explanation, um, it was basically the idea of, okay, so you have a CEO of a company, and the company slash CEO takes an action that affects the environment. And basically, people assumed that if the action had the side effect of something positive for the environment, that it was unintentional. But if the action that the company took had a negative effect on the environment, people in the study interpreted that as intentional. So the negative, the disgusting was viewed as intentional. Mm-hmm. The morally right, the positive, the yay, you help the environment was viewed as unintentional. So in this case, with the Harvard study that was published in 2009, what they did to sort of remodel that NOB effect was create scenarios uh, where a director had created a music video whose side effect caused gay men to French kiss publicly. Or uh, there was so there was that scenario. And then there was one where it just caused like, you know, anybody to start making out. Right. And so they found that the more disgust sensitive the participants were, according to this disgust sensitivity scale, so the more disgust sensitive they were, the more likely they were to say that the director whose music video had the side effect of causing gay men to French kiss intentionally encouraged them to do that. Whereas if 
a male female couple, a man and a woman, saw the music video and kissed, that would be like, oh, well, that's just an unintentional side effect of seeing a sexy music video. Right. And what they um, inferred from all of this was that there was an implicit association really based on that uh, that was mediated by their disgust sensitivity and that disgust sensitivity scale, uh, for instance, uh, judges, you know, or, or evaluates how gross out you are by things like rotting meat, corpses, bodily fluids, etc. And um, those people who were more disgust sensitive seem to show more unfavorable automatic associations with gay people as opposed to heterosexuals. And this might not, this wasn't outright homophobia because these same people were saying, you know, oh, no, I I don't have anything, you know, more. I don't see a problem with Mm -hmm. gay couples making out. But then when you start to test those implicit associations, things do change a little bit. But the good news that Baring points out in that Scientific American article is that you can still change those implicit associations through exposure. Right. And Hugo Schweizer, who's an author and gender studies professor, takes us a step further in his column uh, on the topic about uh, PDA. He says that he was telling his students that there is a total political side to sexual behavior instead of just like, ew, gross, those people are making out, or, oh, isn't that cute, those people are making out. The idea of upsetting people to to put something in their face so that they eventually get used to it. He says, sometimes I argued offending others is desirable and necessary because the prejudices that undergird the sense of being offended need to be uprooted. Yeah, I mean, think about it. And it makes complete and total sense. Like you do you do need exposure to things sometimes to break down those prejudices. I mean, think about just like the first thing that pops to my into my mind is uh racial desegregation. You know, when we talked about uh the the Arkansas nine like going into the school to desegregate, you have to have exposure at some point to start breaking down those barriers. Yeah, because even if you don't think something is outright gross, I mean you still might not be used to it. Right. So the more that people are exposed to something, the more they are used to it and don't think it's absurd. Right. And speaking of race, this actually does tie in pretty well to PDA because it's not just the LGBT community that has to sometimes walk more of a tightrope when it comes to PDA. Um, Interracial couples, studies have shown, are also less likely to show PDA in public. Is that a redundant show PDA in public? To well, I mean, I guess you could have PDA in your house in front of a large window. At a party. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hugo Schweitzer also chimes in on this one. Um, he says that hate often hides behind propriety. So people who are arguing like, well, no, it doesn't bother me that a white man and a black woman are married or dating. No, that doesn't bother me. It's just PDA grosses me out. Well, so that's kind of what he uh, builds off of when he's talking about an experience he had with his first wife, who was Asian American. And they're walking uh, through Chinatown with each other and holding hands getting a lot of basically angry stares. He drops her hand and she asks him angrily why he did that. And she says, they need to be offended. We aren't doing anything a same race couple wouldn't do. And so he says that part of me being a discerning adult is doing what Alyssa asked me to do nearly 25 years ago. Distinguish between a generalized discomfort with PDA and a far uglier hostility towards affection that violates racial or gender norms. One is worth respecting. The other isn't. 
Right. I mean, and, and the sad fact is there, as reflected again, I know I keep going back to it, in that Salon essay, that there there is still a, a risk of violence for people. Um, but I, I guess the only thing that we can hope, because, you know, at first PDA might seem like such such a frilly, fluffy little topic, but it is, it gets to the heart of so many things of what we are comfortable with and what we aren't and you know questions of why on earth is that what kind of prejudice is still out there just in terms of you know doing like a flinch test of, of seeing something then you know if it bothers you why does it bother you right so much yeah it might not be so much the problem of the people who are expressing affection mm-hmm. it might be more your problem although honestly seriously the couple who was making out next to me in the restaurant come on what do you well let's take a moment caroline what do you think it was that was they so, were so close to me. I, oh, it was close. <laughs> so, uh, proximity. It was, I think it was more proximity. Be- yeah. And I couldn't, like, it's one thing if you're kissing your significant other and I can, like, turn away and not watch you suck their face. Mm-hmm. But I, they were so close to us. Yeah. That, yeah. I think that the proximity thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That would- and the guy's legs were really long and the girl was really tiny. And so he had his legs, like, on either side. Ugh. Well, there are, I do think there are some, there are some basic PDA guidelines. You know, there, this comes up in a lot of etiquette discourse. You know, Judith Miss Manners Martin, for instance, would say that being overly affectionate is just childish and silly and not very considerate of others. To which I say, ease up, Miss Manners. And, and that's Ms. Manners to you while I'm at it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are, there are degrees. There are degrees. She says that, you know, PDA is okay in a greeting or as part of a celebration, but it's not okay. And I agree with her. It's not okay when people are in a stage of lovemaking. I'm sorry. Call me a prude, Kristen Conger. Do it. I dare you. Groping. Yeah. Gro- I, I feel like my, my line starts to come with groping. Yeah. You know? But there is that thing. I think maybe PDA is so frustrating because there is that I can't look away factor. You know, you want to look away, you can't look away. And it's not because you are <laughs> enjoying it, but just because it is it is there and it yeah. is somewhat shocking to our <laughs> lingering Victorian era <laughs> sensibilities. I, if there's one thing that people have called me, it's, it's a Victorian prude. Uh, well, dude roommate, my, my dude roommate has uh, one piece of advice for people who are really put off by... Uh, over the top PDA. Go home? No. He says that you should just stare at them really hard yeah. un- until they finally notice you. And he goes, no, 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 just keep going. It's fine. I'm just watching. Oh. And that will discourage people from <laughs> expressing PDA. I just got creeped out by Dude that. Dude roommate, everyone. Uh, well, how about one, one final finding? This is sort of an outlier from our research. This was actually one of the only studies... Correlation causation, I will say, but one of the only studies we could find on uh, on possible backgrounds for people's level of comfort, which is generalized PDA. And this is coming from the Journal of Divorce and Remarriage, published in 2010, and it linked parental divorce with feelings of discomfort with witnessing PDA. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder how accurate that is. But they they did a study and they found that. Uh, there was a definite change in cardiac activity. Women from divorced homes reported more discomfort than women from intact homes with PDA, but they also had a higher cardiac response to it. So I'm, I'm, 
is that so much the divorce? Or I mean, there's so many other things you could take into. Because mm-hmm. I mean, my parents are still married. Yeah. And I mean, ugh. You know where I stand on this. I do. And could it have anything to do with my mother, who, when I called her earlier and she was on pain pills from a minor medical procedure she had, was like, you should have me on your video to talk about PDA, because that's gross. So, I don't know. Maybe it's generational. I don't know. Maybe she Sadly. passed it down to me. <laughs> maybe that's so. That's gross. Maybe you should take over for <laughs> Judith Martin for the Miss Manners. I don't know if my mom has enough manners. Um. Well... I think, I think that about covers it with PDA. Do you, I mean, I've done all this complaining. Do oh, you, yeah. Where do, do I you see? care? Yeah. Um, I, if you bring up a good point about proximity, I don't, I don't want to be able to hear any, <laughs> any mouth sounds. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't love seeing it. You know, I, I, I was actually out at a bar a couple weeks ago and on the opposite side of, the patio there was a couple just just really getting to know each other very well and uh, my my friends and i like pointed and kind of laughed um and then i went oh because i kept turning around it was was, you know i don't like to do it i mean sometimes though like i i can't i can't be horrified by it because i do engage sometimes Sure. Not, not, I try, I hope, I hope not to, uh, an uncomfortable extent, but I'm, I'm well, pretty. Open. Last, last night, keeping in mind that I was going to come record this episode, I tried not to be too judgmental because it, it wasn't tech, it was the p- PDA that's not outside issue. Uh-huh. They were, I got into my car after leaving the grocery store and there was a couple, I mean, her seat, her seat was reclined, oh, and he was. On. Yeah, I That's was behind. like, no, 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 no. I'm saying no. I'm, I'm no, no, no. I'm defending the couple. I'm saying I tried, behind closed doors. Yeah, I, technically. I mean, I tried not to be judgmental, remembering what we were going to talk about today. Well, that's good, Caroline. You, you know, that that's good. I grimaced to myself and go. then put it out of my mind and just turned that NPR up and kept driving. <laughs> my stereo's broken, but yeah, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I um, I hope we get lots of stories about PDA. PDA, fan, PDA, yay or nay? Is it okay to PDA, as the title of this episode asks? Because I do want to hear from listeners out there, because I feel like it's one of those, there. there's no like middling ground when it comes to PDA. That's what's so fascinating about it. You either hate it, or you are doing stuff in your car yeah, next to Caroline. Oh, come and on now. You're uncomfortable. Not next to me. In traffic. In traffic. Uh, so send us your thoughts. Uh, and a happy Valentine's Day. Even you, you probably hate Valentine's Day. <laughs> you know, there's a 50-50 chance. But either way, I hope you have a good, a good February 14th. For sure. You know? So email us, momstuff at discovery.com. And here's one from Keely. She says, I really enjoyed your interview with Emily Matcher, and I plan to read her book. Emily Matcher, FYI, that's the new domesticity blogger that we interviewed. Uh, uh, Keely goes on to say, I am a 31-year-old female PhD student in the biological sciences, and I definitely find myself drawn to some of the activities that you talked about with Emily. Knitting, sewing, gardening, cooking things from scratch. I think for me, part of it is that my research is relatively long-term in nature, and it can be very frustrating and disheartening when something I have poured days or weeks into simply doesn't work. 
On the other hand, if I decide to make muffins, 40 minutes later I have muffins, and usually they are at least edible and sometimes quite delicious. It's a quick return on investment. I also wonder about the role of the economic downturn in this phenomenon. Some of these activities really are ways of being frugal, i.e. making a gourmet meal instead of eating at a really nice restaurant. I think in general, my peer group is trying to temper the consumerism that we grew up with and not be terrible to the environment and make things of high quality that will last for a long time. Those, I think, are some of my motivations. So thank you, Keely. And I've got one here from Wendy, and it's in response to our episode on fitness fads, uh, but it has more to do with electrical muscle stimulation that we touched on in that episode. So she talks about when she was a kid in the 80s, she used electrical muscle stimulation during physical therapy because she broke her left leg in several places and couldn't walk for almost a year. So here's what happened. My physical therapy was basically learning to walk again. At the end of all my workouts, the physical therapist would mistakenly leave me a sixth grader on the table with the EMS knobs within reach. I would turn the electrical current as high as I could once they walked away. I would lay back down and watch as my leg jumped up and down on the table to the horror (laughs) of the others on tables and the staff. I couldn't feel the current, but it was so much fun to watch my leg bounce. I loved it when others freaked out. They had to tell me every single time to stop, and they also told my mom. The staff eventually stopped leaving me alone during this part of the therapy, because let's be honest, would you leave a sixth grader alone with a machine like that? I'm happy to say all the therapy worked, and I can walk without any sign of injury, which is a small miracle since my leg broke in about seven spots, although it was hard to tell how many hairline breaks were sustained around my knee joints. It took me about ten years to get back on a road bike, but I'm glad I did. And thank you, Wendy, for that very bizarre image of you as a child with a crazy leg. Uh, well, you know, being electrically stimulated. Not broken, that would just be sad. Anyway, so if you have a letter to write us, momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send it. And if you would like to give us a Valentine's Day present, it would be going onto Facebook right now and liking us and following us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and following us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And if you are not feeling so lovey-dovey and you want to know how breakups work, you can read about it. It's at our website, HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 